Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Things Set Right. During this series, we are going through in detail the Gospel of Mark. And if this is one of the first times that you've connected with Cornerstone Online, or maybe you've been watching for a while and you just haven't let us know who you are, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you. So you can do that by clicking on the New Here link at cornerstonenh.org and then uh, put in your email address and we'll be able to stay in touch with you. Or wherever you're listening or watching, you can text the word NEW to our church number, which is 603-225-2550. And again, we'll be able to welcome you personally and also stay in touch with you, let you know what's going on with Cornerstone and inspire and equip you as you journey with Jesus. There's a phrase that I've heard before that says, cometh the hour, cometh the man. Now, that sounds kind of fancy. It sounds like it might be from Shakespeare. I did a little bit of research, and it actually comes from a cricketer, a, a guy who's playing sports, who was involved in this great game, and he said, cometh the hour, cometh the man, talking about his own performance in this game. The best that people can fine, that's the earliest occurrence of the phrase, and they're thinking maybe it's a, a conflation of two different phrases, one coming from Jesus where he said the hour, the hour is coming and has now come, talking about the kingdom of God and his showing up on the scene, and then another non-biblical phrase that, uh, that talks about the opportunity makes the man, opportunity makes the man, and they think that the this guy, uh, this cricketer, put these two different uh, phrases together to make cometh the hour, cometh the man. But of course, what that means is that whenever a certain situation arises, a crisis, a an hour of need, that there often seems to be a person who shows up, who rises to that occasion and does what needs to be done. This concept, this idea is not uh, not new. It's been around for a long time. In fact, it makes me think of uh, this passage from First Chronicles 12.32. In this scene, what's happening is King David from the Old Testament is gathering all the people to get ready to go to war, if I remember correctly. And it's talking about the different people that were coming from the different tribes of Israel. And in this verse, it says from Issachar, which is one of the tribes, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Whatever you may be going through, it's a good idea to recognize that there are certain times and certain situations that call for certain actions. And as we come to this passage that we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of Mark today, you will see that same principle applied as Jesus begins to send his disciples out to accomplish their mission and his purpose. So today we're going to be talking about focus because we're talking about accomplishing the mission and being focused on their mission, which in, is in turn our mission as current day followers of Jesus. And what we will find, what we'll see, the bottom line for today is similar to that idea of cometh the hour, 
cometh the man. And this is my bottom line from this passage. You are the man, this is your hour. Or you are the woman, and this is your hour. And what I mean by that is, no matter what time it is, we have, as followers of Jesus, an urgent mission to accomplish. And he has empowered us and given us his authority so that we can go out in Jesus' name, on Jesus' mission to accomplish the mission and purpose that he has for us. And whatever our time and our place, this is our hour and we have a mission. So, you are the man, you are the woman, and this is your hour. And as a result of that, I'm going to challenge you to do a little bit of streamlining, to examine your life and to look at it from the perspective of accomplishing the mission and doing the most important things that the hour requires and see if there are ways that we can streamline and put aside things that don't matter or that aren't helpful in order to get us further and faster along the path that God has for us. So, let's look at it together. This is Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 7 to 16, and then a summary, a conclusion in verse 30. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, if you would like to follow along. It says, beginning at verse 7, Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his twelve disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus, because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. This is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he is the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he is a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. And then verse 30, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have been given your word and that we have the opportunity to study it and to hear your voice through your Holy Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. I pray that you would give each of us ears to hear hearts to receive, minds that are open to what you want to do in and through us this week. And I pray, Lord, that your purposes, your intentions, your plans for us will come to fruition. Help us 
to receive with faith what you want to say to us and have the courage to live it wholeheartedly. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, as we look at this, we want to first off recognize the man and the hour. What I'm going to do today is kind of lay out some of the background to this scripture so that you can understand it. And this is actually kind of part of a two-parter between this week and next week's message. So this is laying the foundation for both of those messages. But in this section, we are going to be encouraged to recognize the man and the hour. In other words, to see Jesus for who he is and recognize the time and place that he was ministering in, and then eventually to bring application to our time and place. In order to understand this passage, you have to put it in the context of the gospel as a whole. Remember that the gospel itself, the gospel of Mark, started out first half of the first verse with Mark putting his cards on the table. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He is talking about Jesus and saying, this story is all about Jesus. And who is Jesus? It's making the case for Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, who is going to reestablish God's kingdom, and that he is the Son of God, that he's fully man, yes, but he is also divine. He is God in the flesh. And then, as we've said many times before, after putting his cards on the table and stating explicitly what he believes about Jesus and what he wants us to understand about Jesus, he's then going to let the story of Jesus, the events of Jesus' life, make the case for Jesus' identity. One other thing that we have seen is that uh, Mark lays the story of Jesus right alongside some of the prophetic words about Jesus from the Hebrew scriptures. And so what I want to do in this first section is just lay those side by side. In particular, Mark uh, pulls heavily from the third and fourth chapter from the prophet Malachi. So I want to just kind of let you see these side by side to see how Mark is pulling from those scriptures to help us to understand that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God. So let's look at Malachi 3.1. It says, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So that's God's plan. I'm going to send a messenger before I send the Messiah. And then in Mark chapter 1, Verse 2, it quotes from that. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And then back in Malachi, more of verse 1. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. So he's saying, I'm going to prepare the way with my messenger, and then the Lord is going to show up. Back in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, at that time, what time? The time where, where John the Baptist was on the scene and baptizing and preaching and telling people that he was preparing the way and to look for the one who was coming after him. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So, 
says there's going to be somebody preparing the way, then the Lord's going to show up. That was Malachi. Then in Mark, you see him saying, look, this is the guy, John the Baptist. He's the one that was talked about that's preparing the way. And immediately after that, John, uh, John points to Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, what was going on in the book of Malachi? Well, he, Malachi was prophesying to a people, encouraging them to repent, to change their ways, to return to the Lord. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Throughout the book of Malachi, you see in this prophetic scripture, his laying out, here's where you're going off track. Here are the things that need to change. And then a call to repentance, a call to change their ways. Now, what was Jesus' message? It's summed up in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time promised by God has come at last. So, among all, all, all the prophets, but included in Malachi, he's saying there's going to be this time where God is going to come in the person in person, in the flesh. He's going to set things right. Then Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, that time is drawing near. The time promised by God has come at last. And so what is the response that he wants uh, the people to have? Second part of verse 15, repent of your sins and believe the good news. Repent and believe, believe and receive. Then back in Malachi, again, laying these side by side. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. And what was he saying? He's saying this time where God is going to set everything right. Yes, he's going to rescue, but he's also going to be bringing his judgment. This day of the Lord where everything is set right means justice and judgment for some rescue and salvation for others. And before that happens, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah to you. Then in Mark and in the rest of the gospels, Jesus makes it very clear that that Elijah that was promised was the person of John the Baptist. Here's an example from Mark chapter 10. Jesus replied, Elijah does come first and get everything ready for the coming of the Son of Man. And Son of Man, of course, is how Jesus would often refer to himself. He goes on to explain, they treated this Elijah like dirt, much like they will treat the Son of Man who will, according to the scripture, suffer terribly and be kicked around contemptibly. So he's saying, look, this, this Elijah that was promised, he came in the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a forerunner, a foreshadowing, not only of Jesus coming onto the scene, but also the way he suffered in his death. Now, that we'll talk about more about John the Baptist and his death next week, but you can see how these two scriptures, Malachi 3 and 4, and the Gospel of Mark are, lay, are, are parallel, being laid side by side. And then that's, that has to do with recognizing who we're talking about. Jesus is the one that was promised. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the one who prepares the way, the Elijah that was promised. But what about the time? Because we often 
rightly so, focus on Jesus' death and resurrection and the eternal consequences of that. But there was also a lot going on religiously and politically at the time as well. Within the lifetime of everyone in this uh, story, Jesus, John would be, John the Baptist would be murdered, and then Jesus would be put to death by the religious and political leaders of his day, of course, raised from the dead and the beginning of our salvation story. But there was also a coming to conclusion, drawing the end, drawing a line over a big chapter in the history of the Jewish people as well, because within a generation, the temple was going to be destroyed. Jerusalem was going to be sacked and burned. It would be like if somebody came in, a conquering army came into the United States of America and tore down, burned down, reduced to rubble, every church, every synagogue, every mosque, just completely destroyed all of the religious symbols and buildings in our country and reduced the Capitol building to rubble and raised the White House. It was that kind of destruction. All of those symbols wrapped up in that one building, the temple, in that one city, Jerusalem. So there was a major, major, major uh, destruction coming in their lifetimes. And Jesus as a prophet, among other things, was foretelling this. Here's an example from Matthew chapter 23, Jesus speaking. Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. What's he saying? He's saying that judgment is coming and uh, you need to be prepared. It's time to repent. It's time to set things right in your relationship with God. And God has been patient. He's been withholding judgment. He's been reserving judgment. But now this is the time where all of that built up judgment for all of the sins of the people is going to come on this generation. And so he says, uh, you're, you're going to be held responsible. You're going to reap the rewards of generations of rebellion for the murder of all godly people of all time. And he goes on to say, from the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, who you, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. Now, we, we know Cain and Abel. We're not, may, may not be familiar with Zechariah. But what he's doing there is the way that the Hebrew scriptures were arranged, their book order started with Genesis and ended with Second Chronicles, if I remember correctly. And this is the first murder that was recorded in the Hebrew scriptures, Abel. This is the last murder that was recorded in the Hebrew scriptures, Zechariah. And so he's saying all of the sins of the people are going to be poured out on this generation. So that judgment is coming. That is the day that we live in. 
I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this judgment will fall on this very generation. It's all happening now in his time frame. Now, in light of all of that, now we can come back to this passage that I just read. And you can see that cometh the hour. He's saying, look, judgment is coming. This, there's an urgency to it. And throughout the gospel of Mark, that is a constant theme. There's just urgency. There's moving very quickly from one story to the next. And there's an urgency about the message in part because Jesus recognized and was telling people and using his disciples to get the message out that this hour, this was a crucial hour and judgment was coming. And the only way that they were going to survive this was through repentance. And so that's the hour. And then recognizing that Jesus is the man of the hour. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. So in light of all of that, come back to Mark chapter 6, verse 7. He called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two. Is he delegating? Yes. Is he training his disciples? Yes. But I also think that it indicates the urgency of the time, that it's time to get this message out in as many ways as possible. And so he begins to send them out two by two. Interestingly, in the Hebrew scriptures, any uh, testimony had to be backed up by two witnesses. One witness wasn't enough. You needed two to verify a fact. And so he's sending them out two by two. What did he do? He, give, he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits. What was he doing? He was taking the authority that he had been demonstrating that he had as the Messiah and as the Son of God and he is delegating that authority to them and allowing them to do to carry the same message and do the same thing. You've uh, we've seen over and over again Jesus praying, healing, and teaching, praying, healing, and teaching. And now he has they've spent time with him. Now he's going to send them out to heal and to teach. So we see there that. You are the man, this is your hour. They were recognizing like those sons of Issachar that this is the hour, this is their time, and they had a job to do. It's the same for us as well. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28 verses 18 and 19, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. So he's saying again, I have authority and now I'm going to share it with you because the next phrase is therefore go, therefore go. You who are my disciples, I'm, I'm going, because I have this authority, I'm sending you out and you're going to exercise that authority on my behalf. And it's the same for us today. And that's why I can say that you are the man and you are the woman. As a follower of Jesus, you have been commissioned. And the time that we live in, this is our hour. So in the instructions that Jesus gave to those 12 when he sent them out, I think there are applications and lessons for us to learn today. As we examine our lives and as we think about the mission that God has for us. And the first thing I want to point out about that is to not get weighed down. I think that's one of the first lessons. Don't get weighed down. 
What do we see in his instructions to the disciples as he sent them out? He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick. No food, no traveler's bag, no money. He sent them out to be completely dependent upon the just making their way as they were on mission. They weren't supposed to take a bunch of provisions. They were just supposed to go. Again, indicating the urgency, but also just don't even be weighed down by anything. You go, you accept the hospitality that you receive and make the mission the number one thing. I like this next phrase. It says, he allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Yeah, you can wear shoes, but don't take a second set of clothes. Again, nothing to weigh you down. This is the same lesson that he was teaching through the uh, parable of the seeds back in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 4. And in fact, this is the wrong reference here on that. This is from Mark chapter 4. And this is what it says. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out. Jesus, what, what is the message crowded out by? By the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. So worries, wealth, and wants, those are the things that are going to crowd out the message, crowd out the mission, and the result the sad result, no fruit is produced. And then the second thing I see, don't get weighed down, don't carry a lot of extra stuff with you, is don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Next phrase in Jesus' instructions. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. Well, what was the point of that? Well, maybe they go into a town. The first place that they're offered to stay is decent, but then somebody else hears about the message and wants them to come and move in with them. And and maybe it's a nicer place with better accommodations. Who knows exactly what was going on? But he was, again, just saying, don't get weighed down. Don't get distracted. Keep on focus. Don't get too comfortable. You're, 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 not, gonna be, you're not there to, to get comfortable. You're there to accomplish a mission. Don't get weighed down. Don't don't get too comfortable. I was thinking about this because uh, my son Jonathan is getting married and they are registering for their wedding, but at the same time, they're moving into a small apartment and they are thinking about going on the mission field. So they don't want to get weighed down with a bunch of stuff. They want to be able to travel light and not have a bunch of stuff to get in the way of what they want to do. I remember when Sue Ellen and I moved to New Hampshire from Florida. We had a house down there. We got rid of a ton of stuff. We didn't carry probably even half of the stuff that was in our house to New Hampshire. Why? Because we were coming up on here for a purpose to, uh, to establish a church, to plant a church, a new congregation. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't have a place to live. So we were traveling lightly. It's the same kind of principle here. The mission was most important. And so don't get weighed down. Don't get too comfortable. Go wherever you need to go. And then lastly, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. In Mark 6, 11, Jesus tells them, but if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. 
to show that you have abandoned these those people to their fate. It was a custom for some uh, people as they were traveling, if they left their home country where uh, among the Jewish people and went to a pagan land, as they were leaving, they would shake the dust from their feet to show we, we don't want anything to do with any body or anything that hasn't to do with the worship of the one true God. We don't, uh, judgment is coming and we don't want even the dust on our feet when judgment comes. And in the same way, he's saying to them, if people won't listen to their message, you kind of treat those people and treat that area as if it was a pagan land. Because if they don't recognize the hour and they don't recognize the man, then they have to be abandoned to their fate. And so, what did, the, what did the disciples do? They did exactly what Jesus called them to do. They bore testimony to him. They taught the people. They healed wherever they went. Just like Jesus prayed, teach, taught, and healed, they went around. They had spent time with Jesus. Now they're going to heal. Now they're going to teach. We see this in Mark six twelve. So, the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. Remember Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is near. What's the, what's the application of that message? Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Turn, as Malachi put it, turn away from your sins, turn to God. That was their message wherever they went. And the reality is that for us, we have the same message. What is the hour? Our time is short. Did you ever notice, uh, part of the benefit of getting older is that I've recognized this, that no matter what time and place you live in, there are always going to be people who are convinced that we are living in the last days and that history is drawing to its conclusion. Now, everything is in place. Jesus could return before I finish recording this message or before you finish listening to it. It could happen at any time. And so we need to be prepared for that. But I, thought, I saw an interesting perspective on this as I was studying this week, that perhaps part of the fascination with the last days and the last times is a reflection of the fact that for us, it is the last days and the last times. A hundred years from now, virtually, uh, very likely, none of us will be around to see here or do anything in this life and in this world. Even if time goes on for another 1,000 years, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, then our time is coming to a close. It is the last days for us. And God has placed us in this time and in this place to accomplish our mission, the mission that transcends time and place, but is our mission for our time and place to tell everyone about the good news of Jesus Christ, that God saw a broken world and said, I'm going to set things right. And so he sent his Messiah, his anointed one, his agent to come to this world, to teach, to heal, and eventually to go to the cross to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. 
part of the urgency of this situation was that judgment was coming and the armies of Rome were coming to destroy their city and their temple. And Jesus' prescription was repentance. But what Jesus did for us on the cross was he stepped in the way of that coming judgment and said, instead of you suffering for your sins, instead of that judgment falling on you, I'm going to stand in that space and I'm going to take the judgment. I'm going to take the wrath of God against sin on your behalf so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be set free, so that you can have new life. And that's what he did for us. So part of what recognizing the man and recognizing the hour is, is to recognize that Jesus is the only one who can carry away your sins and that the hour is for salvation is right now. So that's why every week I'm going to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Yes to that his death on the cross will count for me, that my sins will be covered by his sacrifice. And also saying yes to recognize that he is the divine son of God, the king, the one who gets to call the shots, the Lord, the master, the boss, so that we are following him and we have surrendered and committed our lives to him. So if you haven't done that, recognize the man and recognize that this is the hour to turn your life over to Jesus. We want to know about that so that we can celebrate with you and also resource you as you walk with Jesus. So let us know. Click that button that says, I commit my life to Jesus, if you're watching on the Church Online platform. And anywhere that you're watching or listening, you can text YES to 603-225-2550 so that we can celebrate with you and resource you as you begin to walk with Jesus. So what did they do? They taught the people. They were telling everyone everywhere the message of Jesus, as I just described it to you. They also were healing. They cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. And according to Ephesians 2.10, everyone who has said yes to Jesus, everyone who is a part of his family, everybody who's a citizen in his kingdom, we, he is crafting us into his masterpiece, creating us anew, anew in Christ Jesus so that we might walk in, so that we, we might accomplish the good things that he planned for us to do so long ago. That means he has mapped out a path for you, that he knew your time and place in this world, and he has laid out good things for you to do And as you are created anew in Christ Jesus, you have the power, desire, and ability to accomplish them. I don't know what that means specifically for you. Generally, for all of us, it means that we've got a message to teach and we've got a world to heal. And to do our part to get the message out and to serve others and do what we can to bring healing and wholeness to our world. But whatever it is for you, You are the man, you are the woman, and this is your hour. 
You've got a mission to accomplish, a purpose. There is meaning to your life because Jesus has given you a mission and meaning. And so our challenge, my challenge to myself, to you who are watching and listening, is to streamline, to recognize there are probably some things that we need to get rid of because they're weighing us down, that we can be distracted by wealth and wants and all of the and all of these things worries that there are certain things that we need to set aside just surrender to the lord and not be distracted anymore so what can we do to streamline our life it talks about this in hebrews 12 where it says let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles throw it off, get rid of, strip it off and strip it away so that there's nothing that's unnecessary in your life, nothing that will hinder you from accomplishing what God wants to do in and through you. And then for the positive side, the next part of the verse, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. To run with perseverance, run with endurance, to keep going. Maybe that's the message that you need to hear today. Just keep going. Keep running. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, and God will give you the strength and the endurance that you need. And then that summary statement, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. I love this picture because Jesus sent them out. They were telling everyone everywhere about him. They were, saw his authority expressed through them and the casting out of demons and in the healing of the sick. And so they got together and they just told stories and celebrated all that God had done through them and celebrated around the same table with Jesus. And there is going to be a time where we, We'll all gather around the same table. Everyone who's committed their life to Jesus, everyone who has said yes to Jesus is going to be get an invitation to this banquet. And that's what the, the end of time and the culmination of all things in the scriptures is, is pictured as a party, as a wedding party. And we get together and we celebrate and we'll tell the stories And eventually, everything that you're facing is just going to be a story that you tell. And so the question becomes, what story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell the story of how you got distracted and you put your energies and efforts into things that ultimately didn't matter, even though they seemed so important at the time? Or are we going to get together and we're going to celebrate the things that we just kind of realized weren't important? and focused on the things that were most important, the things that were going to matter throughout eternity, and tell the stories of how Jesus was faithful as he did his work in and through us. Those are the kinds of stories that I want to tell. And it's going to take us recognizing that we have a mission, that we need to be on mission that there are things that are going to keep us from accomplishing that mission and we need to streamline, we need to shake those off, we need to strip those away so that we can do the most important thing and be committed to the most important things. Will you join us in doing that? 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you have given us testimony of the scriptures so that we can recognize who you are and the times that we are living in. I pray, Lord, that however this message needs to hit with me, with everyone who is watching and listening, that you would show us what this means for us, how we need to apply it, the changes that we need to make, and then give us the courage and faith to act accordingly so that when we get together on that day, sit around the same table, we'll have stories to tell that will bring you glory and honor as we celebrate the lives change, the evil overcome, the healing and wholeness that you provided in us and through us. May we have that kind of story to tell to your glory and honor throughout all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.